Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, my name is Caroline Stocks from Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Chuck Hoffaker, who's the president of the Southern Poultry Research Group in Georgia. Chuck, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here with you. Now, when it comes to uh, salmonella in poultry that causes human illness, it seems that the prevalent types are actually changing. How important does that make monitoring the types of salmonella in poultry in a poultry company's uh, operations? One of the things that I emphasize to companies that begin to test their farms and try to understand their salmonella serovars that are in their broilers or in their breeders is we need to first understand the salmonellas that we have in our processing plant because those that survive to get all the way to our carcass rinse, Holberg or parts rinse, those are the ones we want to focus on in our live production. So our monitoring program really needs to focus on sussing out whether it's a a broiler issue or a breeder issue. Are many uh, poultry producers actually doing that kind of monitoring at the moment, or is it something that you think has to be stepped up? Well, I think a lot of companies are doing, uh, have begun to do more monitoring of their breeders. Uh, I think they don't do it as a routine, but I think they're doing it as a, a means of understanding which salmonellas I have on my breeders and using that to fine tune their kill vaccination program for those breeders, which is fine. But if you're trying to better understand your salmonella that could be at risk coming into your processing plant, you'll need to do it more often because breeders don't just shed salmonella continuously, they shed it intermittently. So if you look today, a fox may be shedding salmonella enteritidis but tomorrow they may not. So if that shedding is intermittent, how do you go about testing? What's the best route to, uh, to making sure that you're, that you're keeping a good eye on everything? Boot talks uh, have been the real go-to for the, the US and the international community for testing the environment. We test the environment, the floor, and that tells us what those birds are shedding and so a routine boot sock monitoring um, at set times during a grow out or during that breeder flock's life will help us to understand if that breeder farm or breeder at house has say salmonella enteritidis or typhimerium or Heidelberg. And you want to do that repeatedly. So for example, we may want to test at four weeks, all of our flocks, breeder flocks when they reach that age. And perhaps again at, at eight or 10 weeks, once again before they come into egg production, so that we understand as they go through their, their life cycle what salmonellas they may have colonized in their intestines. And would you test at the hatchery as well? Testing at the hatchery is a, a good way of looking at what salmonellas I have from all the flocks that hatched that day. 
uh, and we can take fluff samples in the hatchery or we can take um, swabs of the bottom of the baskets after um, the chicks have been in a basket for a while. What happens in the hatchery though is that fluff moves everywhere. So you may have one flock that's shedding, for example, Salmonella typhimerium, and you'll pick it up out of the chicks of multiple flock that day may only be one flock shedding. So hatchery samples are a good indicator of the general salmonella that are in the flocks for that day, but may not be as good an indicator for a particular breeder flock. So from those tests that you take during the production process, how consistent do they tend to be with the results that you actually find during processing? Well, that it, that's the hardest question to answer. And I wish we had a simpler way to, to test. What happens is cross-contamination within the processing plant. If it's the first flock that's processed that day, yes, the testing that we have on a farm tells us what the risk is. But if that first flock comes in and has Salmonella infantis, then every flock after that has the potential of having Salmonella infantis due to cross-contamination even though we have a lot of interventions in our processing plant to try to reduce salmonella, we still have that risk of cross-contamination. And you mentioned uh, salmonella infantis there. It's a, it's a type that's, that's gathering a lot of attention lately, not just in the US, but also in Europe as well. Why do you think it's a serotype that's become a lot more prevalent? That, if I knew that answer, I, I'd be famous. <laughs> Uh, 20 years ago, there was a Salmonella typhimerium that had just come into the, in the industry throughout the world. And then it decreased. And then another Salmonella, Heidelberg, I think it was, came in after it. We don't know why these different Salmonellas tend to replace each other as predominant within the, the broiler. Uh, and, it, and it's really worldwide. We do know that one of the risks with Salmonella infantis is it's more likely to pick up antibiotic resistance genes. And that's a real concern for the public health community that we have a salmonella causing foodborne illness that's also carrying antibiotic resistance. Is there any real understanding yet of how to control it? Are there live commercial vaccines um, working against it? So, yes, Salmonella infantis, even though it's a C1 in the live vaccines that we have available don't protect as well or don't stimulate as strong an immunity against C1 as it does, as they do against Bs or Ds. But we do see some benefit, um, some immunity and some protection to Salmonella infantis from the live vaccines that we do have available. One of the things that most everyone does or should do is multiple interventions. Don't just rely on your live vaccine. You may want to use, you know, competitive exclusion, direct fed microbials, organic acids in the drinking water at, at withdrawal time. We'll, we'll put multiple hurdles for that salmonella to colonize and get all the way to the, to the processing plant. Touching now on uh, Salmonella Kentucky, it's a strain that uh, it counts against producers if it's found by the FSIS, even though it's not typically been particularly harmful or, or been considered particularly harmful to human health. 
There was a report uh, out of Washington State recently indicating that there are virulent types that have made people ill, um, but most people who contracted salmonella had contracted it in another, in another country. Do you think that, that Kentucky could become a strain that's concerning to human health? There are some strains of salmonella Kentucky that originated out of the Middle East and moved into Europe that have the ability that picked up genes to make them more virulent to create more opportunity to create human health hazard. And also they have picked up some antibiotic resistance genes. And so the worry has been because Kentucky so readily colonizes the, the bird's intestine that if that particular strain that is more virulent for people and has antibiotic resistance were to come into the US and become the predominant salmonella, then now we've got a salmonella that our live vaccines don't work virtually zero um, efficacy, and we're going to have to rely on other interventions. Now, the USDA uh, is intensifying its efforts to reduce foodborne salmonella. Do you think the FSIS, FSIS is ever going to uh, change the way it tests and considers different types of salmonella at food processing? The way the regulations are currently written, it doesn't matter which salmonella they isolate. They're going to focus on all salmonellas. And, it, and if we look back in, in the early to mid-90s when the mega regulation came in to the United States, when FSIS began to test um, whole bird carcass rinses, there was a lot of discussion about shouldn't you just test for those that are human health hazard and not worry about those that aren't. And Europe did that for many years. And what they found was that if they made a list of these are the three we're going to test for, and then a new one comes in and it's not on that list, well, then they don't have any regulatory authority to, to regulate that. So I think FSIS is kind of caught between a rock and a hard place that they, if they do just focus on those that are human health hazards and say, don't worry about Kentucky, and then that bad guy Kentucky does come in, now they've got to change the regulations again. So it's going to be a case of, of uh, keeping an eye on things and, and being able to react quickly, I guess. Yes, and I think most companies that I've worked with over the past have recognize that they need to work hard against those that can cause human and foodborne illness in their breeders and try to reduce it coming into their broilers because they know those are the ones that have the potential to result in a recall, not just failure in the processing plant. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com slash join.